Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 381. Jason Lingren is with me and Athen Kamente returns. You may recall he is a sidereal astrologer. What that basically means is he looks up into the sky and the sky he sees, physically sees, is the sky he works with. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And an undesirably cold morning it is. So before we get Athen in here, I'm going to drop some ideas. And Athen is a good guy to counterpoint what I'm going to say. As everybody knows, I've had problems. What are the true divisions of a constellation? How the hell is it that we don't know what age we're in? Why is every map wrong based on the sky? And this has prevented me from doing what people like Athen do, learning what's there to be learned. And the reason is, is because I have no faith. And Athen has come in, he's made some predictions in the past, anyone could go back and he's nailed them right on the head. And this gives me hope, but I'm going to point out some things that we haven't really covered that I've been working on for a long time. And by chance, a follower sent me a book and everyone should get a copy of this and protect this book. People that are smarter than I am will be able to make good use. I will say of the book, it's in the 1800s. He had no way to know what we knew. No. And for the most part, he thinks that religions and astrology are poppycock. But what he lays down is incredible. And when I say incredible, I think it's records that we probably couldn't get anymore. And Athens going to talk about the Soros cycle. Uh, it was called 200. It was called the 223 lunations or nodic cycle before all that. So the book is, sorry, I'm rambling, uh, The Worship of Augustus Caesar. And the author is Del Mar, two words, D-E-L-M-A-R, which is what, of the sea or something like that, Del Mar means. Uh, it's a hell of a book. And the reason it's a hell of a book, because it falls before where I placed the modern edit in the early 1900s. And it appears that he was within a group of, what would we call them, scholastic minds that were aware of how to get the work of other people and then publish it into that group of people. You know, the way, way things used to work in a sane world. Anyhow, sorry for rambling. Welcome, Athen. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Great to be here. So good to have you on. Anything new in your world you want to lay down before we jump in? Uh, no, I think all this is good. Get into the constellation boundaries, because that can be a very subjective thing. Uh, where do you actually draw the line between these constellations? Is it a universal principle? Is it meant to be a little bit more subjective and barometric? The sorrow cycle is great. Yeah. So yeah, all this sounds really good. I think I'm good to go. So many crazy things. You know, I've made mention of the Prague clock and it's been edited along with everything else in our world at this point. But at one point, uh, the zodiacal divisions on one side, they were much larger. And on the other side, they were much smaller, which to me almost means something like we're looking further to see them or who knows. It's incredible to see. But here's the thing. If you accept, and I do accept, that our history and our possibilities are written in the stars and that no man can change that, uh, one of the things that's been done to us, so our calendars have been jacked, our maps have been jacked. And as you were pointing out, we're not even sure where the constellation boundaries, but one of the most vexing thing is what age are we in, which I will address later in this episode, or I will lay down some possibilities uh, is a better way to say that. But I have come around to accepting that the only way that people could easily mark time over long periods of time is by eclipse cycles. 
And by the way, comets could play into that if it's a so-called periodic comet. But for the most part, I think it's eclipses that were the big deal. It let you know where you were in any given age or cycle if you had a valid history. And there's the rub. We do not. So you want to jump in um, with a lunar cycle that in the book I'm holding is called 223 lunations. A bit ironic. That's the inverse of skull and bones. But in the modern era, it's called the Saros cycle. Yeah, very important. It makes sense too that so many ancient civilizations spend so much time tracking eclipses. You know, the Mayans also come to mind, obviously, with their massive dated calendar. So, well, you know, we have this so called procession as well. So, as we talked about before with the ages, it would be about 26,000 years for that full revolution. So arguably that would be the largest, but eclipses from what we know, from what I've researched very briefly. So as a preface to all this, you know, I'm by no means an eclipse expert and, you know, I just did uh, some bare bones research on this, but uh, there's a cycle there that's about 1300. And this has to do with the, uh, what I understand as the declination of the eclipses. So when they go you know, from what we understand is super far north, when the eclipse happens as far north as it can, that would be either the beginning or the ending of the cycle, depending, or both. And then super far south, as far south as it goes, extreme declination. Declination is the distance from the ecliptic. So within these points, there's many cycles. There's said to be, what is it, 19 cycles within these cycles. It can also divide into 640 you take the exact number, it'd be like 1280, it's closer, 1280 years, then 640, then 320. And um, you're, you're mentioning that earlier there, Crow, with the 322. Um, so that's probably more accurate, 322. But, uh, but yeah, so this would be a very large cycle as well. And what's happening with the eclipses is also telling us where we're at in that cycle. So we can use all these markers, whether it's the age, whether it's the eclipse itself, uh, to see where we're at in these cycles. When is the beginning and ending, which is super important. It's almost like seasons is in and of themselves, right? So we have like the, which you could say is the age season, like being in the age of Aquarius or Pisces or whatever. And then of course, each of these eclipses, where are we at in this eclipse cycle? Short and long-term is extremely valuable. So what you laid down there in the middle was that in the Soros cycle, one of the things being noticed is the furthest or northern extent of the moon and the southern or lowest extent of the moon. And this is how I can prove to anyone who wants to think that what you said matters and makes it more valuable than I think most of us have, have taken the time to think about the Soros cycle. Every map we have proves that what you just laid down is critically important because we have a tropic of Capricorn and a tropic of Cancer. So those two tropics do the same thing with the sun, the, the furthest northern extent in Cancer and the southern extent of the sun in Capricorn. Here's the issue. Those ideas are at least a couple thousand years out of date. I'm going to guess here. Uh, because I don't know what age we're in. Uh, I don't know where we are in the cycle. But from what I can surmise, every map should currently say the Tropic of Gemini and the Tropic of Sagittarius. What this proves to us beyond question is that we are out of time and that our maps are all wrong. And everybody knows that in navigation, you're going to tie the sky clock to navigation and all these things. And so what's happened now is... Nobody's reading the stars anymore. You got GPS in your hand most. So do you see what that means in the scope of things? But to get back to the Soros cycle, 
I was up late, so I hope I can read this morning. In the book that I've mentioned, under 223 lunations in the cycles portion of the book, here's what it has to say. By the way, this is the sorrow cycle, or what is currently called that, but there's different points of view all this time ago. The great ecliptical cycle, already introduced under the heading 6,585 and two-thirds days. As they're stated, this significant cycle is not diurnal, but a lunar one. That just basically, it's not a day cycle. It's a lunar cycle. To couch it in days or years is apt to be misleading. And this is exactly what Soros is doing. What he's saying here is if you try to wrap days and years around it, you've already lost part of the meaning. According to another author, this is wrong. The nodic cycle consisting of 230 lunations or 6,793 and a half days. The ecliptic cycle begins with the conjunction of the sun and moon, and that's a new moon, and continues until the sun and moon, some also say the node, return to the same position as the outset. Do you understand what this means? If this is correct, he's told us how to find the beginning of the cycle. That is so critical. These are the things we're missing. Where do we start from? How how the heck do we calculate if we don't know where we start from? He goes on to say, this occurs in 223 lunations or 18 years and 10 or 11 days, seven or eight hours. And it's interesting to me that they have to do that. So it might be an hour off, might be a day off. This other guy says that it's 18 hours. During this period, there will usually occur 41 solar and 29 lunar eclipses. At the end of the period, the same routine of eclipses eclipses will begin to recur. And they will happen on or about the same days as the equable solar year. A cycle composed of the ecliptic cycles or 669 lunations will bring the eclipses to the day and almost to the hour required so that they're an identical match to where the cycle started. I tried to strip some of that out, Athen, but you've just looked at the idea of sorrow cycles. Do you see how much more information was added in? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of what we don't have is good boundaries and good starting points. If this book is correct and I hear the ring of truth in a lot of places in this book, or at least sincere effort to truly know what is what. He gave us a starting point. So anyone who knows the importance of what's currently called the Soros or 223 lunations, as it's called in this book, can actually calculate for a start. And now you have a cycle you can work from. You just studied Soros. Did it give you any indication of when this supposed cycle begins or ends? Well, that's the thing is that there's multiple cycles within it. So it depends on what your reference point is, right? So that's what I was saying about the declination. I'm not sure what that extreme is, but the thing is, is that these cycles are cycles within cycles, right? So the 18 year one that you just mentioned, and by the way, the reason it's like 10 or 11 days, depending just has to do with the inaccuracy, like you were saying of our Gregorian calendar having leap years and stuff like this. Right. So obviously there's it's not varying like that. It's just varying because our calendars aren't accurate. Good point, Athen. Critical point. And it shows that this author was doing the best he could to nail down something you could accept. Right. Right. But but that's the point, is that that's that's when the eclipse happens zodiacally 
at the same spot again. So let's say, so for example, right now we're having eclipses in Taurus, solar eclipses in Taurus. Okay. Um, in 18 plus or minus days, years, we will have the next set of eclipses starting in this same part of the sky, but it's not the exact same part. You see, it's not the exact part of Taurus. Like in 18 years, the eclipse that happens isn't going to be on this day, you know, on the same day as this year's eclipse, and certainly not in the same degree. So you can see that <laughs> how many different cycles you could get depending on what your reference point is, right? So if your reference point was Taurus, then you would calculate it out. And I'm pretty sure that's where they're getting these larger cycles, the 322, the 640, the 1280. That almost, I'm pretty sure the 322 cycle is when you have an eclipse happening at the same exact spot at the same time. Okay. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's where they're getting that one from, which also just so happens to line up with the, again, one fourth of the declination period of 1280. All right. So there's definitely a pattern here. So yeah. So the important takeaway here is that there's cycles within cycles and the smallest of the cycle is the 18 year cycle roughly which is when basically we have what's called the nodal return. The North Node or the South Node will return to the same spot it was 18 years prior to that. Uh, But once we start to get to reference points of the stars, what reference point do you want to use will then determine the cycle, right? What cycle you're talking about. And and from what I've researched, there's like probably 19 different uh, reference points, I think, or 19 different uh, algorithms you could use. (laughs) to calculate these cycles. So, yeah. So I think the most important ones would be the 18 years is for sure, because that's the zodiacal we can see it. Um, and then the 1280, because that is the declination, which is also very observable. Yeah. All right. I need to take a two second break here and I'm going to come back and add in the metonic idea just to prove what you just said about the complexity. I'll be right back. Are these cycles consistent even over large swaths of time, or do you actually have to look at them over large swaths of time? I w- yeah, I would imagine, yeah, because th- they were saying that the Babylonians took them hundreds of years just to start to be able to track it, to not even observe it all, but just to come up with the pattern, you know? So I would imagine it would take like hundreds of years just to find the first few sequences and then from there extrapolate the rest of the pattern. Yeah. And from that, do you think we have a, at least a guess how long we're talking here. Like I'm assuming in the thousands of years at this point. No, I think it's constant. Yeah. I mean, I think it's concentrated between the 1300 years, 1280, I think, because that seems to fit algorithmically with everything else. So there's consistency there that we can know that for sure, or fairly certain anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's referencing what they call the North Saros cycle or North Saros series and the South Saros series. So North would be when it's in the extreme Northern declination and then the Southern Sorrow series would be when it's in its extreme Southern declination. What I'm kind of picturing are there cycles within cycles and it kind of builds out larger and larger until the whole thing in its entirety comes around to some sort of very large cycle. Until it repeats again. Right. So, cause you're having all these little like mini events, like an eclipse would be like the mini event or even the 18 year zodiacal thing. But then within there, you have this movement of not only zodiacally, which would be like, what we would know is like east to west, but then you have north and south declination. So you're basically dealing with a pattern that's not two-dimensional, but in a sense, three-dimensional, because you're dealing with uh, a vertical plane and 
north-south plane, and you could even argue a depth, but that's totally hypothetical. But the point here is that there's a lot of different uh, possibilities calculating it, let's say, depending on what your reference point is or what your variable what your variable is. So it can indeed be used as a clock, even over a large oh, period yeah. of time. Right. It just depends on, okay, what are you going to reference? And like, so zodiacally, so, so are you going to reference the beginning of Aries? Are you going to reference the galactic center? Are you going to reference like maybe Leo, you know, like Regulus or something? So if you had, you know, an eclipse happening, let's say an exact conjunction with Regulus, that pattern, how often that happens is going to be different than the exact cycle of when it is conjunct the galactic center, for example. But over a large enough period of time, like what I think is the 1280 years, then you're getting a repeat of, of the whole thing where I think everything has had its conjunction, let's say. Do we actually know how far back, like what the earliest records that are accurate are? Babylonians, from what I understand. Could argue the Mayans, but the problem with that is decrypting it, you know, like really trying to understand what the heck they're actually referencing or writing. So Mayans, Mayans would be old too, but I, I'm pretty sure the Babylonians would be the oldest. So the book that I've asked everyone to get has some definite observations on how far back things go. One of the main points of the book is to show that our calendars are jacked. So what they were trying to do is put together a real chronology. And what they found is is mind-blowing. As a matter of fact, the 223 lunations, if I have reasoned this out well enough, used to be used for when the next Buddha figure was going to come into the world. And one of the claims they're making, and it's pretty well backed up, at least the way they did this, that everyone else just kept ripping off that idea. And by the time we got to the Caesars, um, they wanted to be gods. I think he claimed Caesar wanted to be, but didn't get it fully implemented, but Augustus did, hence the title of the book. What he's claiming is everybody in the world knew that every 556 years, Within that period of time, there was going to be a new teacher from God to help straighten out humanity, like a Buddha, like you know the figures we're talking about, the important figures of religious history in every culture. And so what he did is he jacked up the calendar to ensure that he was living within the time where the next big God person was supposed to be here, and then he was going to claim it. Uh, and then he ironically died. But then there's the apotheosis and, you know, oh, this divine Caesar died and went to heaven. But to get back before, uh, Athen was pointing out an 18-year cycle. And to show everybody how many cycles there are and how complex it is, there's also a 19-year cycle called Metonic, named after, I think, a Greek dude named Meton or something like that. But here's the point. So we have this 18-year cycle that's critically important to track time of how many eclipses and how many solar and lunar eclipses. And then there's this other critically important that's 19 years. So there's an 18 year and a 19 year cycle. And by the way, I have long suspected that the 11 year solar cycle and the 19 year metonic cycle uh, are part of what's being played off in our 9-11 world. Those are all ones and nines. But anyhow, um, I hope I didn't drag us too far away, guys. I had to just everyone listen. I had to walk away for a few minutes. So Athen. Are you aware? You, uh, I know you're aware of the Metonic cycle too, right? Roughly 19 years. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any insight to it? Actually, I don't know exactly how they're calculating the Metonic because I use the Saros with the True Sidereal, right? So yeah, I don't know exactly, but but yeah, it's 19 years uh, even. Uh, it could be a rounded. Is it a rounded 
number because it is very close to the 18 plus or minus. <laughs> Here, here's the thing, and I've said this before. I think the biggest explanation I've ever seen of the Metonic cycle is in the light of Egypt. Everyone knows that we've talked about that book. And if I'm not mistaken, it's about two pages and that is it. And what it does is it opens up and says, now we're going to tell you about one of the most important cycles you ever need to know. We say a few things and then we're done. And then we say, by the way, did you know this is a very important cycle? But as far as I know, um, I, I don't know where to get a better description of why Metonic is so important. Yeah, because I'm I'm looking at the wiki and it's saying that it's it's the cycle of when the moon uh, has the same phase at the same time of the year. So every 19 years, the phase of the moon will recur at the same time of the year. Which relates to the 223 or the Soros, right? Because they're basically saying- It's got to. Yeah. So what we're saying is in the Soros or the other one we were talking about, 223 lunations. At the beginning, when you get to the end, things will be occurring at about the same time and place, but you just said the exact thing, but about phases of the metonic. That anything to do with the moon is so complex that sometimes I feel like without years and years and generations of learning, it, it's just too complex to unravel. Um, that's how I view yeah. the moon. It's like the biggest mystery you'll ever see, even filming it. It never looks the same. But Anyhow, yeah. What I was talking to Jason about when you were gone there for a second was, you know, it's, it it also becomes important like what you're referencing, and I think this is a good example because like it says at the same time of the year, and it says the lunar phase, but all of these things are barometric, right? Like the lunar phase is never an exact singular event unless you measure it in the millisecond there's going to be another second where it's slightly different, right? right? So at what point in time are you referencing this in this year? Right? I bet you it's something very general, very vague. And then the second thing is, is what do you classify an exact new moon or exact first quarter, right? To the what? To the exact second, maybe? So we don't know to what extent they're referencing that. And then this leads to the point of this these larger cycles where, like, let's say we were trying to track this sorrow cycle of, like, these 322 or 1280. So I think the 322 years is when you have the eclipse having a conjunction. So, so happening basically in the same quote unquote part of the sky. But again, what do you consider a conjunction? Now in traditional astrology, a conjunction would be within one degrees, but why is it one degree? You know, why isn't it 10 minutes or, you know, a 10th of a degree or now it wouldn't be a 10th, but you know, one, one sixth of a degree, right? Like what, what are what what are we using to actually start this cycle? Because if we go down to the fraction of a minute of degree, then that cycle will be much larger. Such critical points, and this reminds me of fourteen ideas, right? How do you know? Like, what is your reference point? Is it is it is a conjunction in one degree? Is it a tenth of a degree? And so, depending on when that event happens, determines the cycle, right? So, if you were going to like a tenth of a degree in considering that the conjunction, then the cycle is even larger, right? Because the next time the, the eclipse is going to happen in that exact fraction of a degree is going to take even longer, more time, right? So it's all very subjective in the sense of like, okay, what are you considering an exact return, an eclipse return, eclipse happening in the same part of the sky, in the same declination even, right? 
So it really comes down to what is our reference points and then trying to figure out what are the best reference points to use and then figure out a cycle from there. But it's so important not to take this stuff at face value. And I think that metonic cycle is a good example of that. I, I think what you're saying is so critically important. Uh, it's like Fortian, right? Charles Fort, uh, when he goes in and takes science apart so deftly is to tell you, you can't use any of these exacting systems to get anything exact. It's exactly what you're laying down. Where does it get marked? And this reminds me of the old saying, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. And I think everything we're talking about was one of the main tools in the tool bag of the elite of this world to take us out of time and to deny us an accurate history. In other words, now we're all doomed to repeat it. How many freaking worldwide plagues like the one we're in now have already been pulled off? Because we don't have a very clear view backwards. But to get to the point, you could ask, you know, are we going down to the second, which is the claim in those old books that they were going down to the second to do these magical calculations. But where does it start? And without the history and the knowing of, I mean, what would it have to be, Athens, thousands and thousands of years? How could we ever know that there's any value? And it brings us around to the 14 kind of idea. At what point can science come in and tell you this is no longer hot, it's cold? <laughs> and that's the same as the right. lunations you're pointing at. It can't be done, right? And yet right. science will do that very thing. So what I would offer, Athens, is without probably millennia of knowing being handed down how do you ever get back to something valuable? I don't know. I mean, it's valuable, but valuable at the level that it's supposed to be, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's the circle that is the most important thing. So let me explain this in such a way that it doesn't get butchered. But when you're dealing with, with us, like if you're, if you're trying to figure out what a cycle is, you have to be dealing in like a sphere and like a circle to do it. Now, see, an eclipse is a series of events. That's like an event happens in a point in time. Right. So that's where it becomes very difficult to try to find a cycle. But a sphere, like let's say with precession, right? What they call precession, right? So the ages. Now you can get very specific with this, right? Because it's a circle. So 26,000 years, you'll literally see the return of the sun in the exact same part of the sky visually, right? Although the, that's also open to debate because of the moving of the stars, even and, and possibly even a larger cycle, right? That, that maybe we're not aware of. But, um, but the point here is that with the eclipses, I think the most important thing is to get to the declination part of the cycle, because now you're dealing with a spherical or more like a sine wave, I suppose. Like when does the sun and moon get to that highest point and have an eclipse at like the peak, at the absolute peak of that sine wave of declination? Uh, how often does that happen? Yeah. And if that, yeah, I don't even know. That must be tens of thousands of years. I have no idea. But that would be like working within a um, system that it would be more consistent instead of doing a point in time, like the lunar phase or an eclipse happening at a certain point in time, try to figure out what that actual cycle is. What is the sine wave, right? What is the spherical pattern of that, uh, of that cycle? And I think from there, that would be the, the most useful. Critical points. Yeah. And I, and I do, uh, you know, recommend everyone search this because I know your community is super active and on the forum and everything. So Type in sorrow cycle, so it's spelled S-A-R-O-S cycle into Google, see what comes up. I do recommend Bernadette Brady. So she does come up on my search, but I would maybe type her name in because she's an astrologer, very good at uh, true sidereal type of stuff. But she has an article on her website going all into depth with this. Yeah. 
All right. Well, here's where I throw the monkey wrench in Athen um, and where I've been stuck. There was a point when I was saying to myself, I can't accept any of the zodiacal divisions. It doesn't make sense. There's no proof. Why is this this? Who said it? Who proved it? Uh, Where's the divisions? And where I am right now is I highly suspect that when we went from the 10-month year, which our months are still named, December used to be the last month, 10th month, the the traces are there in more ways than one. Uh, It was the elite kings and queens and guillotines taking over everything. And that's why we went to 12 months. And I'll say it for a number of reasons, because the calendar we have now is without logic. It's like, why? Why would they have spent so much time to get from these other cleaner divisions that they once had to the point where they're making up lies to tell us, oh, Julius Caesar woke up one day and it was snowing in July. Oh, poppycock. Those people all had fields, all lived on the land, and there was never a time when they were calling summer winter. It's ridiculous. So what we find is that these things have been changed. And what makes it worse, and this is well outlined in the book I've mentioned, is what the heck's up with this BCAD thing? And he states outright, this was to confuse and obscure the history that you were never going to be allowed to know. And here's the example he uses. If you're on this side of AD and you lose some ruler, take 78 days out of the calendar, you subtract. The other way around, you add. And so if you're in BC, you're thinking, oh, he sunk 78 days out of this calendar. So we should subtract that, right? They're gone. But it's actually the other way around is true. I hope I said that right. It's the difference between AD and and BC. And when you logically begin to look at all the calendar breakdowns and how they changed and where they came from, you begin to realize that it's it's a put up. And that brings me around to one thing you just mentioned. And this is a huge idea. Smarter people than I am, better at math, are going to have to deal with this. This is the 21,600-year cycle, which I know you already recognize the number, Athen. So right now, what we're saying is to get through the entire zodiac, regardless of how many signs there ever were, is going to be 21,600 years. Now, we have a lesser idea of this. 2,160 years to each zodiacal sign. Here's where I'm going to throw the monkey wrench. Listen to this. The most ancient Greek measurement of precession of the equinoxes that was made by Heraclitus at Ephesus, who flourished in supposedly BC 513. He gave 2,160 years to each zodion, which means zodiacal sign, equal to 21,600 years for the complete 10 Zions. There were only 10 zodiacal signs there. When the zodiac was divided into 12, the processional measurement became 1,800. I'm not even going to go on from there because I know you follow what I'm laying down. He's claiming that we to this day are still calculating as if we had 10 signs saying 2,160 years is the age of Pisces or Aquarius. He's saying in actuality, what it is, is 1,800. And so this becomes the problem, Athen, and it's part of the reason why I wanted you to get this book, because someone like you could really probably do some things here. But what do you think about that? Yeah, so, uh, well, 26,000 seems to be the modern number, right? 25,000, some, some change. For a complete spin around the Zodiac? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So that would be 21,600. I know 20. So 26,000 for the whole cycle. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. So that's the modern, see, but that's what he's saying. He's saying that the number we still think is an age, which is 2,160. If you blow that out, he's saying the entire spin around the Zodiac uh, would be 21,600. Well, if you take 26,000 and you divide that by 12, and that's 2,166. Right. And that, that's where the claim goes against the way we're calculating now. He's claiming that to go through Pisces in our time with 12 signs, it should only be 1,800 years. That's his claim. Hmm. And this is the kind of thing I'm talking about because this guy was not making stuff up. And he goes through this book and over and over says, this person was wrong. Here's how we know it. And that's the kind of book I want. And he comes to the points where we assume this is probably the most likely, but history is so jacked up, we're just guessing. That's the kind of research that I'm interested in. But think about what this means, Athen. Now, when I go back to the light of Egypt, he's telling me we went into the age of Aquarius in the 1800s, 18, I forget what it was, 08, I think it was. And I thought, well, that's convincing. Everything sums to nine. And the Hindus taught us cycle changes sum to nine. But that's another correspondence. They're saying 1800s, and this guy's saying 1800 years for one sign of the zodiac in our 12 Zidon division. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. He makes the claim that we went from 10 because some rulers wanted to jack things up and make themselves divine. Yeah. And throw us off the cycle. Right. So mm -hmm. I hope you do get this book. Yeah. Because I would, I would love to do an episode when you've had some time to look at what's being laid down because I can't do the extensive math, but I can hear the ring of truth or the honest attempt at truth. And I think this is invaluable, mostly because the things referenced, I looked up a few of them. I can't find them. I don't think Amazon's given us half the research cited in this book. But So, Athen, um, do you want to talk a little bit? about what might be on the horizon or do you want to finish out where we were going? Yeah, let's, let's continue. I'll just do a recap to kind of brainstorm everything because I've learned a lot actually. So yeah, so there's different cycles. So, so the sorrow cycle got the 18 years in a shorter term that we know for sure. Right. Right. Uh, trying to figure out now what is the, perhaps the declination cycle uh, the sine wave part of the cycle, like uh, how far North and South the ecliptic, do these eclipses get and what is that sine wave actual that that actual sine wave that circular pattern good point because that's real deal data you know that's not fakeable that's real right yeah and then in regards to the um, yeah the so-called procession but the ages right now now we are we you know the, the sun is in pisces right so that then just comes down to like how, how do you classify an age and like we were talking about last time like like the way you read it I believe is, is what's actually rising. So what comes before the sun? So like right now it is Aquarius that comes before the sun during the spring equinox. I don't know, to be honest, Athen. I'm, I'm, I'm currently looking at that idea because the, the Bible uses it, that idea over and over with the Virgin and other signs in the sky. But I'll be fair. I have no idea. I, I was told my whole life, it's the sign behind the sun at the spring equinox. Right. So the one that would be rising before. So, so, but, but that's my point too, is like, okay, but how do you classify the, that, you know, and that's, that's so valid because, okay, what is an age? Is it the sign before the one rising before, 
Uh, and then, okay, how many degrees are you, are you considering this from the sun? So there's like all these different methodologies of like what we're trying to reference. And yeah, I think the most important thing, like you were saying, is figure out what our ancestors did because they've obviously had the real world experiential knowledge behind all of this and, um, and, and try to come up with that system. But I think these are really good questions. Yes. Yeah, try to find that, that, that true sorrow cycle. Yeah. And then in terms of the ages, you know, recognizing, okay, where, where is, what is the actual age in terms of the measurement? And then once we have those down, we can calculate these things a lot better. Well, we, we know some things at that point. And I would point right. out at them, we do know the Soros. We do know the Metonic. The so-called 223 used to be called lunations. That is the Soros. We know it down to the hour. So you could, I don't know how to describe this logic, but right now, Athen, one full spin around every sign that age, how many years would that be in current astrological thinking going through every sign, each age? Yeah. So right now it's from the closest calculation is 72, de- 72 years is one degree. Right. So if you take 72 times 360, and you, you know, you're at that 26,000, right? So let's say 72 times 360. So you're at 25,920. So somewhere around there. So, you know, a lot of people just round it to 26, but that also in the, in the logic you're laying down, which is currently accepted, each sign like Pisces or Aquarius would be 2,160 years, right? Exactly. Yeah. So here's, here's what this man has laid down. He's saying, sorry, guys, it's been known since the beginning of time. And we referenced all these places that knew it, that a full spin around every age uh, would be 26,160. And by the way, when the Caesars or the other rulers jacked up your calendars and you went from 10 months to 12 months, that meant that the only way to accurately mark one age or Aquarius or Pisces, whatever it would be, would be 1,800. And so these ideas are critical because of what you laid down. We know the Soros, someone who's more brilliant than I am, maybe you, Athen, could go and say, well, how many Soros cycles is that? Or how many Metonic cycles? And begin to reason out if they hold water, because after all, these are cycles. So you should never have a time when the complete grand divine year or whatever it's called isn't in sync with the smaller cycles within it, right? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Okay, so we got about 15 minutes, a little bit less, Athen. Was there anything else you wanted to add about what we were talking about, or do you want to go into what might be coming on the horizon? No, I'm ready now. Yeah, I just wanted to recap, get my head around a lot of that just to make sense for me. So let's recap. Uh, we'll just pick up at the beginning of the year, which is a day or two behind us right now. I think we're recording on the third of the new year, 22, the third day. You made comments about windows closing or something like that. What do you see right now about the, the kickoff of the year, what stands out to you? Right. So the most important thing I think is to reference 2021 because we just had a contact with the Saturn square Uranus. So that was the final contact. It, it took place exact on December 24th. Like we said, that was a very important astrological time with the eclipses and everything else. First of all, I think globally, this whole 2021 energy where it was Saturn structures clashing with Uranus's freedom, right? That what we've been talking about last time, the, the clash between structures and freedom. And by the way, that's easing up that clash between the structures and Uranus uh, with Saturn and, and the freedoms of Uranus. So uh, what I'm expecting is actually, and 
you know, I, I don't know if I was mentioning this last time, but as we got closer to that last contact, I'm actually seeing that a lot of the plans that the elite had, uh, I think they, they, they went for a really big power grab. You know, they, they try to take a lot of liberties all at once and stuff, but I think they're, they're failing. They're failing at it. I, I, and I think I mentioned this last time that there's going to be more freedoms now as a result of this. And, and, I, and that's what I think is happening. I think as a result of what we've seen in mainly 2021, where the government really clamped down on a lot of civil liberties and stuff, the people are going to start to restructure their governments. I'm almost certain of it now. Like, uh, like Australia is probably going to start to get more freedoms. They're going to probably restructure their constitution. A lot of this stuff starting to happen. So I, I, think, I think obviously there's, this is an ongoing battle, so to speak, between the people and, and, and the, the powers that be. It's been going on for thousands of years, obviously, but um, you know they keep trying. But I think the larger cycle is that we are becoming more free. I mean, obviously, right now we're at a low point of that cycle, I think. But in the larger cycle, we've obviously become more free. They're already playing in the news exactly what you just said, where I am. And I don't watch the news, really. but just by chance, while taking care of my mother, the news was on for about 15 minutes before I had to get the hell out of that room before I lose my mind. It said, oh, guess what? All the Biden states, every one of them is now a battleground state because it's looking like we're going to go Republican now, which is ironic because of all the people that I know, they're convinced that if you're red or blue, it determines what's going to come out of this. And if you were lucky enough to be in a red state, it wasn't so bad, which means in the future, it won't be so bad. So you can already see the news cycles queuing up on exactly what you just said. Mm, right. And they're going to say all this narrative too, like they're going to ease up restrictions, but they're doing it because of whatever, because the virus isn't as bad anymore, some other you know, BS. But the truth is, is that they failed. The people stood up. And I'm like, 2021, like from my observation, like, yes, obviously it sucks that so many people are asleep, but the years, like pay attention to these protests. And like, there was like, tens of thousands of people in some of these protests, like in Europe and Australia and stuff. I am so proud of like all those individuals because you see like, this is what has to happen throughout history. Like even our founding fathers in the U S they said like, you know, the, what is it? The tree of Liberty has to be replenished. I think they were talking about with, with the blood of like those who have to fight and die for freedom. Now, obviously we don't have to fight and die anymore, which is a great thing because we have information more and, you know, technology and stuff. But man, like I was so impressed with that. So I think this is um, a great step. Like I think moving forward, the elite are backing off. Like obviously they got some power, right? But but not to the extent they wanted. And um, and we're going to start to see a lot of this starting to ease up, them stepping back, and things just becoming you know more in the power of the people moving forward from here. So that's coming out of the Saturn square Uranus energy. Now 2022 is a bit quiet astrologically. Uh, that doesn't mean it won't be an impactful year because, again, we are still at the beginning of a lot of these larger cycles and stuff, so it's still significant. But in terms of the aspects, um, we just have one, and it's concentrated around the April time period. And so April 12th, uh, Jupiter, the planet of wisdom and knowledge and philosophy and higher you know, wisdom, is going to be passing over Neptune, which is that of peace and spirituality and like, you know, what's soul-fulfilling in life. So on a collective level, this can be obviously like, collect, like in the in the mainstream. Be mind like obviously I don't need to tell your audience this, but like if I was speaking to the collective, like 
be aware of manipulation very much around the April time because Neptune is Neptune and Jupiter together, like the dreamers, the idealizers, rose-colored glasses, fantasy, you know, ideals, all this stuff. So be aware of that. If there's anything introduced by governments, I think it's going to be probably at least in part economic with inflation and maybe universal income or, or something like that, as I was saying before, possibly. But whatever it is, um, just understand that obviously, you know, things aren't free in life. We have to be grounded. Um, and during that time, just understand collectively, we are very susceptible to programming and things like that. But it'll seem like a dream. It'll seem like an ideal and all this, whatever. They're going to use this because I'm sure the elite will be using it at that time. But in our personal life, like this is a great time for, again, turning inward, connecting to nature, all the same stuff we've been talking about to connect to you know, our essential nature and to really do things that are more self-fulfilling for us in our, in our personal lives and professionally as well. I'm happy to see you be so upbeat. Um, anyone who goes back and reads books like The Light of Egypt or any number of books that I've mentioned, there's an idea that cycles are real. And if you accept that, then what you know is sometimes you're going to have a low cycle, sometimes you're going to have a high cycle, and sometimes it's going to fall in the middle. But what you know beyond doubt is that all created things will see their end. And I appreciate the tack you're taking, Athen, because I think much effort was put into making people feel like a whipped dog in the gutter. Because when you give up, guess what? You've lost. So the tack you've taken, I appreciate it. By the way, just before you get back in, uh, a year or two ago, I don't remember when it was, Jason, remember that show American Gods? I was thinking about covering some of that. Mm -hmm. And then it it just got too violent and stuff. So I, I didn't want to steer people to it. But one of the things they did in there was they tied to the sky clock and they tied to Easter. And he gets in one scene where they're going to see a star or Easter. And he says, well, it's the 16th of April. So seven days ago was the spring equinox. You see what's going on there? Well, I can't make the spring equinox go there. So what is he referencing? And it just serves to show we are so out of time and so lost. But to pull back around, do you feel like there's a mini cycle kicking off in early spring? Yeah, because this this is a cycle in and of itself. It's a conjunction. So if you recall back when we were doing the show back um, early 2020, and we were talking about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, and then that kicked off the whole pandemic BS and all that stuff. So this is it is another cycle. It's not as significant because Saturn and Pluto are much slower moving bodies, but um, it is definitely a new cycle. Uh, it's a 12-year cycle with Jupiter. Well, with Jupiter, Neptune is going to extend it because Neptune is moving. So I don't know exactly what their cycle is, maybe 15, 16 years, something like this, but not the 30-year or with Pluto, well, with the Saturn-Pluto, you know, 30-year plus cycle, but still important. And I think with this one, it's, it's again, it's about... Um, yeah, what I was saying. It's a new cycle with doing what's important on a soul level and uh, listening to our own intuition, listening to our own inner guidance. I think that's the big thing because Jupiter is the, the voyager, the traveler, the explorer, and Neptune's the spiritual, the internal. But you see others who want to manipulate you or take advantage of you will, will embody the Neptune energy. They will embody the promising you this and that and whisking you away into some dreams and stuff. So listen to the true spiritual energy, which is your inner intuition. And I think that's what this cycle is really, uh, really kicking off. So Jason, I'm going to mention a thing before we wrap up this hour and take a short break. I know you're going to know what I'm referencing. I won't say names, but I was speaking with Rose and there were families that we were aware of 
um, where it's like, if you're not inoculated, you don't come in this house. And for a reason I won't talk about, that whole point of view has changed. And I'm seeing this everywhere. I often have nurses come to my house to check up my mom. At first, I would tell them, you don't have to breathe your own exhaust fumes. They wouldn't do it. Now, every one of them shows up. And not only that, the idea of boosters, uh, when I began to talk to them, many of them had got the initial shot. Uh, now, I think 100% of the people I talked to wouldn't touch a booster with a 10-foot pole. And so I think that backs what Athens was saying. Jason, anything you want to add in before we wrap this up? Well, I'm hoping that people's brains will finally start lighting up that, uh, you know, you generally don't need a booster a few months after getting the original shot. So, yeah, we are starting to hopefully see some more people get with the program here. It's like, hey, guys, something's wrong here. Right. Or you could just go back to common sense and realize the creator doesn't make Chinese junk. (laughs) (laughs) Some, Some mysterious liquid in a vial is not the solution to our broken engines, if you want to look at it that way. But anyhow. Athen, can you give out your contact information? Sure, yeah. So masteringthezodiac.com, that's where all the resources are, uh, astrology readings, astrology courses, uh, other resources there, and the YouTube channel is the same name. This is why I like to have Athen on, because he does what I would do. I know there's all this astrological habits that we have, but I don't agree with them. Because if I can't go out into the real world, look up, see the sky that's actually there, and then try to get to work, then I'm not part of it because I have no faith. What's real is real. If it's there, it's there. If it's not there, what are we doing here? Uh, and that is the sidereal. And by the way, anyone could email Rose. Athen has made, I don't know, do you even know, Jason? Like three or four just head on nailed it predictions to include the day the first vaccines were delivered in my state to the day. If I remember it, think it was December 14, but Hathen has nailed it a number of times. All right. Anything else, Jason? No, I think the one point that he was making about things shifting now, I think that that is right now. The last time we had Hathen on, he had mentioned what's going on right now. And and here it is. He's getting it right again. Well, point out another thing that you and I have covered ad nauseum. All critical alchemical procedures start in the spring. That should always be in your mind. Because when something happens in the spring, someone is alchemically leveraging on all the things that we've been talking about in this episode, probably with a lot more knowledge than we will have in my lifetime unless something very fortunate happens. Anyhow, that is hour one of episode 381 with Jason Lindgren and Athen Comente. I hope you join us for the members section of hour two. And in that, we're going to blow up all kinds of ideals. I may get a little further into the book. But I've given you all a title you should go out and get and protect that book for future generations. There it is, man. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And I hope to see you over an hour or two. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.